As you think about the greatness of God, one of the amazing things God says in the Bible is that He not only wants us to know Him, He not only wants to work through us, but He also is willing and desires to bless and reward us for the work He does in us. So think about that. He works in us, He does the work through us, and then He rewards us for partnering with Him. What a great God we serve. I think it brings up a question, a stumbling block for many of us that we may not even realize we have. And the question is this, is it wrong to want great rewards? Is it wrong as a Christian to want great rewards? Is that like a, an elementary, maybe initially you come to God that way, hey, I want to get to heaven, get out of hell, but eventually you grow out of that and you just really want God for who He is? Maybe. Is it true when you hear in school somebody says, you know, integrity is its own reward? And you had to take a huge sacrifice to have integrity. And you're like, yeah, okay, it was, but I'd like something else too. Is that something you need to grow out of and it's self-centered? Or is it okay to want rewards? Not just rewards, but great rewards. Is it inherently selfish to want to be incentivized? Are, are wanting rewards inherently unspiritual? Or does God design us to want Him and want the rewards He provides for us? I want to propose to you that God not only wants us to be rewarded by Him, but it is essential to growing in your Christian faith. It is essential to your motivation. It is hardwired. God said, I designed you as incentivized beings. I want to work in and through you and reward you for the work you partner with me on. Jonathan Edwards was a pretty famous uh, theologian, also a scientist as well, in American history. Most people know him uh, from a literature class. He had to Take us one sort of pretty angry sermon, um, hands in, in the uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Brilliant theologian, and actually it's not the spirit of a lot of what he wrote. At age 20, he was so committed to putting eternity and the kingdom and God's values as the primary motivator for his life. At age 20, he came up with these resolutions, goals for his life that he was going to wrap his his whole life around. Here's one of them. It's pretty amazing. Jonathan Edwards said, It becomes us to spend this life only as a journey toward heaven to which we should subordinate all other concerns of life. Why should we labor for or set our hearts on anything else but that which is our proper end and true happiness? And here's his resolution, one of many. I am resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. And he designed his life, he designed his choices, he designed his relationships, he designed his pursuits about achieving as much happiness, as much reward as he could in the next life. I'm reading a book right now called Heaven by Randy Elkhorn, preparing for a Christmas series that we're doing this year. And it's just an incredible biblical picture of what heaven is like. And many of us are bored by the idea of heaven. I mean, how often can you sing a song? It's like an eternal praise and worship service. And for us music people, we love it. Everybody else is like, okay, that's about ten minutes. I'm done with eternity. But Randy describes that heaven is everything that's great about earth and even more. The economics, the work, the creativity, the imagination. You will be so filled with wonder and so filled with things to do. The last thing you'll be doing is sitting on a harp and be bored. And when you get a view of eternity reigning with Christ, the rewards with Christ, the work that we're doing with infinite imagination and no betrayal and no pain, none of the bad stuff and all the good stuff, 
recreation, entertainment, it's all there in heaven in a real place with a real body. And God says, during this life, if you are faithful in a little thing now, I will entrust you greater things then, greater rewards. Read through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Great is your reward when they persecute you. Great is your reward. Tenfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, hundredfold I will offer to you. One of the most untaught teachings, I did a series uh, about ten years ago now on it, called the Bema, the Bema. The Bema is the judgment seat of Christ. As Christians, we don't go to the great white throne judgment. That's for those people who want fairness at the end of their life. God says, all right. I offered you forgiveness, but you really want fairness. So the great white throne judgment is where God gives you fairness and he evaluates um, your proper consequences to what you've done. And that's the heaven or hell. And when God's fair with everybody who wants to be judged by their works, the answer is always hell. For those who don't want fairness, they want forgiveness. By the grace of God, you enter into heaven by what Jesus has done, not by what you have done. But we stand as Christians before the Bema seat of Christ where we are at a reward banquet. Everybody's in heaven because of the grace of God, but now He rewards those who are faithful, who are kind. He rewards you for your sacrifice and your giving. This incredible rewards banquet, He sits down with you at the Bema, and He says, I want you to know you forgot about that kindness. You forgot how you loved your husband that day when he was really crabby. I want to reward you for that. That was tough. I want to reward you for that check you wrote when you were 21. You started giving a percentage of your income. You couldn't afford it. Let me tell you what I did with that. That money went here, and that money was used to do this, and that impacted this person, impacted this person, and this person, and that for generations impacted an entire village. And I want you to know, all of the fruit and all of the reward from all those things, from that little seed, I reward you for. And you're going to be amazed at the reward you get for what God did. In fact, this year, our, every year, our, our staff and elders, our elders and exec board, we go off and we take a day of prayer and fasting, and we actually read or watched a DVD enactment of the Bema, the Bema. And we just all were taken aback again. Wow, what we're doing, what we're involved in, what we're giving ourselves to is so worth it because God is working through us and He wants to reward us for the work He's doing in the midst of it. So my thesis today is that every Christian should pursue great rewards from God for three reasons. One, Jesus models it. Two, Jesus is going to affirm it. And three, Jesus is going to reframe how you get it. Let me go back to where we were last week. Mark chapter 10. There's a little phrase I want to pick up on. He said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is one who has left house or brothers. These are sacrifices people have made. You left your house. You left your brothers. You left your sisters. You left your father. You left your mother, your wife, or your children. Great sacrifice in order to follow Jesus. If you give up anything for my sake or the gospel's sake, you who will not which is a double negative way of saying you will definitely receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now this phrase, a hundredfold, would immediately grab their attention. It's only used one other time in the Bible. There was one time that Isaac plants a crop and he gets a hundredfold crop, 10,000%. Amazing amount. And people back in, in, in the Bible's, biblical times would look back and say it's only happened once. In Genesis 26, Isaac sowed in the land and that year reaped a hundredfold crop because the Lord had blessed him. You see, that's a miracle crop. That's an incredible investment. If I could go back with Isaac, I would have planted seeds that day in that field myself. That was a good year. She says, that year's not over. What God did to him physically 
And that miraculous reward He will do for you spiritually. And your field is this short little dash of your life. And how you use your dash, God will reward you up to a hundredfold anything done for my sake or for the gospel's sake. A hundredfold blessing. Let me show you how Jesus models this. It's pretty amazing. So out of that passage, He immediately says, I'm going to go and model this for you. See, they were on the road going to Jerusalem. Jesus was going before them. See, before Jesus asks us to make the sacrifice, He does it for us first. That's the Gospel. He goes before us. And they were amazed. As they followed, they were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to Him. He's going to tell them about His sacrifice, about the way in which He is going to give of Himself because of the reward God has for Him. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed. Here's the cost. Here's my sacrifice. Here's what I'm going to give up. I'm going to be betrayed by the chief priests and the scribes, the power brokers of the day. And they will condemn me. I'll be condemned. I'll be mocked. And I will be put to death. I will give them my very life, my very soul, my very breath. That is going to be the incredible cost that I give for the reward God has for me. And I will be delivered over to the Gentiles, the Romans, and I will be crucified. But before that, they'll mock me. They will scourge me. And the scourge was so bad. When you were scourged, most people didn't survive the scourging. Your body was pulled tight and they whipped you. And at the end of the whip were little chunks of metal and little chunks of bone that would really grab into your skin. And as the Roman guard yanked back, it would yank chunks of your flesh out. And then, halfway into the scourging, they would have to flip you over because there wasn't enough meat left to get. And Jesus says, I will endure the scourging for the reward. One reward is I so desperately want to have a relationship with you. I so desperately want to be in a relationship with the people I created. That reward is worth having the very meat on my bones ripped off. But he does survive the scourging. He is crucified, spit upon, and killed. But on the third day, he says, I will rise again. The reward I get is not just that, though. It's not just that I will rise again. It's not just that I will be in relationship with you. As I was on the cross, I pictured the reward God had for me. Let me show you what that's at in the Bible in just a second, but I want to tell you just how strong the Bible is on this point. If you don't think God rewards you, or you think that's somehow self-centered or selfish or unspiritual, it is impossible possible it is impossible to please God if you don't think he rewards you it is impossible to please God if you don't think he rewards you to which you're like oh come on Chad that's a little carried away that's directly out of Hebrews chapter 11 that's not me talking that's the writer of Hebrews without faith it is impossible to please God then he defines faith for us. What is faith? Well, you need to come to God, and you've got to believe some things. What do you have to believe to have the kind of faith to please God? You have to believe God exists. That's a, that's a good one, right? It's, it's hard to please God if you don't think he exists. And the second point he makes is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Isn't that shocking? I mean, I wouldn't write that down. That it's impossible to please God if you don't think he rewards you. But the writer of Hebrews says, you know it. 
God wants you to get you in heaven by His grace and generosity. He then wants to work through you, and then He wants to reward you for the things He did through you. What generosity! And the writer of Hebrews goes on in the next chapter to say, and Jesus applied this very principle while He was on the cross. And you can too. He says, look unto Jesus if you're enduring trouble, or you're struggling with finances, or you're wondering if you should sacrifice, you're wondering why you're going through difficult times. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Because for the joy set before him, in other words, he had a reward in mind. There was joy set before him. There was a reward of joy of being in relationship with other people and being honored by the Father. He kept that before him as he endured the cross. He despised the shame because the whole time he was focused on the reward that he would be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he says that should be our motivation too for our stuff for our time, for our treasures, for our difficulties. We keep our eyes on eternity that God rewards us for our faithfulness in the here and now. Interesting, there's a couple articles that came out in just the last couple weeks that could not be more different on a totally different mindset to this. How many of you heard of uh, Marcus Notch Pearson? He's the one who invented Minecraft. So if your kids or grandkids, or maybe you, but probably your kids and grandkids have played some Minecraft, he invented it, designed it, built it up to a place where he sold it to Microsoft for $2.5 billion. Pretty good startup. And yet he's designed his entire life around not a, a future, not an eternity, but making himself more comfortable, upgrading, 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 getting everything he could. And that mindset that he thought would bring him happiness has actually not. I'll show you some tweets of his in a second. Contrast that with a CEO named Pat um, Gelsinger, who's really on the cutting edge of technology development in the world today, who's also a billionaire. So two billionaires, two different mindsets. Let me show you the different mindsets. One has a God's going to reward me mindset. The other is the world's here to reward me mindset. One leads to incredible joy, the other to a lot of emptiness. Here's what Marcus Notch says, two tweets and several more. The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying. And human interaction becomes impossible due to to imbalance. Here's another one. I was hanging out in Ibiza, there it is, the beach of Ibiza, with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people. I'm able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. I'll give you another one. He says, uh, I'm, I'm in Sweden today. I'm sitting around waiting for my friends who actually have jobs and families have time to do something with me just watching the reflection in the mirror my own reflection in the monitor hey i found a great girl but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle so she went with a normal person instead there's a great responsibility that comes with having great response great authority in contrast that with pat Pat's the CEO of a $13 billion technology company. Business Insider did an article on him of why this man gives away over 50% of his income. He said, my wife and I set an objective early on in his career, before he was in charge of the $30 billion. He had a goal, much like Jonathan Edwards, that we are going to increase the percentage of our gross income every year to charities. Every year they're going to be progressively more generous. Every year they're going to increase the percentage. Every year they want to bless more people and look outside themselves. At this point in his career, he said, we're almost at 50%. For every dollar I get, I'm giving away 50% of my gross income. 
We will plant about 70 churches this year. We're working in the slums of Nairobi and have over 10,000 kids of parents with AIDS in school. He goes on in this article that came out last month or a few weeks ago and said, I've, got, I've made a lot of money and I can give a lot of money away. We have a small foundation, but you know what? Most of it we like to give directly from our revenue. We like being directly involved in what we're giving to and overall holdings we have. The problem is he's running into to tax limitations. He laughed. He said, they don't even let you write it off at this level. Appreciate assets is 30% and cash is 50% of income. He goes on to say, it's not to say he never indulges himself. For instance, he just bought a new BMW i8, which he characterizes as one of the most enviable cars out there. But his true guilty pleasure is multiple homes. We've got a home in California. We keep our home in Oregon. We have a vacation home in, in Oregon as well. But sometimes I wonder, how many bedrooms does one man really need? But Gelsinger was born in very humble circumstances. The son of a farmer still refers to himself as a farm boy from Pennsylvania. He's grateful to have worked his way to the 1%. I live an extremely comfortable lifestyle compared to where I came from. Some days I feel like just pinching myself. Could it be any better? Literally a day that I'm not getting bit by horses or kicked by cows or sweating in the haymow, does it get any better than that? How do you get to the place... That you're giving away 50% of your income. That's either crazy or that's somebody who's making an incredible investment because he knows whatever he gives away has a hundredfold, 10,000% return in the life to come. Jesus models it. Because money and this life is a test. We took my daughter to Branson last month. We dropped her off for college. And I love getting good deals. I love getting good deals. So I had got a deal. This house that could sleep 12 people... My wife and I were going to come and drop Sierra off, and I got the whole house for all six days, or seven days rather, for only a thousand bucks. I was thrilled. Great deal. Love getting good deals. Well, that was in May. We didn't go till August, and I wasn't sure would Javen come, would Quinn come, would we leave him with the grandparents? Well, about a month later, I said, you know, I might have a few other relatives coming in different days, but I'm just not sure. He said, that's fine. Uh, got you a thousand dollars, and I'll send you the contract. By the time we showed up, We brought Javen. We brought Sierra. We couldn't drop her off to the last day. She was there the whole time. We brought Quinn. We brought Quinn's uh, uh, ADHD, um, his uh, special needs helper. We brought my parents came. Best brother and sister lived two hours away. They came down for one day. Best parents who never travel came. Her sister who's never traveled to our game. I'm like, oh my goodness. Thank goodness I got such a, a big place. Some came this day, some three days, some two days, some one days. We had a big old party. We had celebrations. We had a blessing for Sierra, just telling her how much we loved her and that she was ready for this. We had a, a shower for my brother-in-law and, and, and sister-in-law one night. I came to the last day. I didn't bring my checkbook. I said, hey, we had a few other people stay. Um, I'll write you a check for the amount. And I got home and I went, how's he going to know? We cleaned the place up. He was okay making $1,000 over seven days. And by the way, he didn't have the internet hooked up, and he asked us to hook the internet up for him. If I charge per hour, what would be my billing rate? <laughs> so I said, well, I'll just write him $100 and call it even. And I just was, there's a day I got back, I had my checkbook out, and I just felt God saying, Chad, run the numbers on what you owe him. So I looked at the contract, $15 per person per day in addition. Oh, again, small amount in one sense. But I like getting a good deal. 
So whenever I create a document I'm going to delete later, just a working document, Excel or PowerPoint or Word, I always call it test. That way I can quickly search test and just delete them all. So I opened an Excel file and I called it test. And I just went, okay, this person came for two days, this person came for three days, this person for seven days. And I ran all the numbers down. It was like $500. I'm like, that's a 50% increase over the good deal I got. I don't want to spend 50% more. And I felt God saying this. What was the name of this document? I looked up the test. Money is a test of your faithfulness to me. We're actually right in the middle of a staff prayer meeting. And I'm like, God, I'm going to respond to you in prayer. I opened up my bank account. I immediately wrote the check to him, sent it, sent him an email. Hey, here's the calculator. Here's everybody that came. I just want to let you know. Thank you so much for the great time. And I just immediately, the rationalization. See, this voice that helps me get a good deal became the enemy of walking me into darkness. The same strength became an unguarded weakness. And we've got to be careful. Money is always a test of our faithfulness to God because he may have never known. But the God who rewards us and sees us that I love and want to please, he does know. So Jesus models it first. He says, I modeled giving of myself for others. But then Jesus affirms the principle. I love this. Peter, and uh, James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus right after this. You're going to sacrifice and die? He says, teacher, we want you to do something for us. Jesus' response, oh, what, what can I do for you? And they said, well, we've been thinking a little bit, just a little thing. Grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand when you get to glory. Just a little request. When we get to heaven and God is here and Jesus is the right hand of God, we'd like to be in the next two most important seats. Now, is that a self-centered prayer and request and desire? Jesus never rebukes him for it. He doesn't say it's wrong to want great rewards. He just tells them how much it costs to get that reward. And says, are you willing to pay the price for that reward? He then says, by the way, I don't bestow that reward. My father does. But he never rebukes them for wanting the reward. Watch what happens. He says, that's some chutzpah, my friends. That's some chutzpah. You don't know what you're asking. But if you want it, I got a question for you. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Now, what cup is that? See, Romans will tell us that God has a cup of wrath. That God is angry at things that he should be angry at. He's angry at betrayal. He's angry at unfaithfulness. He's angry at unkindness. He's angry at the things that you and I get angry at. When we pray prayers, say, God, why don't you take care of this? When are you going to solve the problem of evil? God's angry at it. He's just waiting. But at some point, he has to pour out that cup on every mark of unkindness and unlovingness and bitterness and betrayal. And that cup poured out on every evil deed in all of human history was poured out on Jesus on the cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is when he was drinking the cup of God's wrath for you and I. And Jesus says, You know why I'm rewarded at the right hand of God? Because I'm going to drink a cup of the judgment of all humankind. Can you drink that cup? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism I will be baptized with? The word baptism coming out of the book of Job, which means to be fully immersed in calamity. Are you, you want that reward? That's great. Are you willing to be baptized into calamity for it? Because I'm going to have my father, who I've never been separated from, turn his back on me. I'm going to be spit upon, ripped upon, physical, emotional. People I love turn their back on me. Are you willing 
to make that kind of sacrifice for that reward. What do you think they say? A little naive, I think. I think if I got that question, I'd be like, oh, never mind. I'll take, I'll take tenth in line, Jesus. I'll, I'll, I'll take the lower board. Now then, you talk about the chutzpah, these guys. They said, we are able, you bet. He said to them, all right, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And the baptism I'm baptized with, you will be baptized. What's pretty amazing is Jesus is on the cross. And all of his disciples have scattered. But not all. One of the guys who stayed behind, who was willing to be associated with him in the darkest hour that could have got him crucified, the one who was there at the foot of the cross was the guy who asked to be rewarded. It's John. John, my mother. Mother, my son. The one who wanted the greater reward was the one who was able to endure and be with Jesus in the greatest time of need. But Jesus also says, to let you sit at my right hand or my left, it's not mine to give. The Father determines that. For it is for those for whom it's been prepared. But if you want to be chosen, if you want to be selected in the group that might get that kind of reward, you've got to drink my cup and be baptized for the baptism I have. Now, when the other ten hear about this, they're greatly distressed. And we're not sure why they're displeased. It could be, why didn't we think of that? Oh, they got to it first. I want to be at the right hand. They're always arguing about the right or left hand. So we don't know why they're mad or displeased, but they're mad that those two guys came up with it first. At least that. They're displeased with James and John. Now, here's what's amazing. Jesus is now affirming their rewards. He modeled that he's going to do it, and now he's going to totally reframe it and say, guys, if you want it, if you want to know the price tag of great rewards in heaven, I'm going to give you the price tag. Let me reframe it. You don't get God's rewards man's way. You get God's rewards God's way. What's God's way? It's only contrasted from the world you live in because it's totally upside down, the kingdom, from what you're taught and modeled in this life. Here's how he reframes it. He says, you don't lord your way into great rewards by demanding, accumulating power for yourself, comfort for yourself. You don't make it all about me, me, me. You don't lord your way into great rewards. You serve your way to great rewards. You give your way to great rewards. You sacrifice yourself to, to great rewards. And by the way, Jesus says, I'm not talking hy hypothetically. I'm going to do it. I'm going to give myself fully and there'll be a reward for it. I'm going to serve you and serve my enemies. I'm going to look at the very people pounding nails, railroad ties into my, into my hands and into my feet. And I'm going to serve my enemies. I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to sacrifice for my enemies. And that is why God will reward me. That's how God's economy works. Look how he says it. Jesus called him to himself and said, All right, guys, you know that those... I love how he says this. You know that there are those who are considered rulers. The bigwigs in the Roman Empire. The Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans, they got positions of high authority. And people consider them leaders. People consider them rulers. People consider them important. But you know what? They lord it over them. The way they handle their power, their money, the Greek-Roman caste system is I'm here and everybody beneath me's job is to serve me. Everything points to me. And they lord their power over people. They lord their money over people. That's how our society works in the Greek-Roman Empire. And their great ones, the great rulers, exercise authority. It's me, me, me. I'm in charge, I'm in charge, I'm in charge. 
over them. It's all about putting people in their place. But you don't, you don't lord your way into great rewards in my kingdom. Maybe here in the Greek Roman Empire, but that's not how it works in God's economy. It shall not be among you if you want great rewards. You desire to become great? You want great things? You want great rewards? You want great responsibilities in the millennial kingdom with me? You shall be a servant. Whoever wants to become great among you shall be your servant. You come into a situation, how can I serve my employees? How can I serve my spouse? How can I serve my family? What could I do here to put other people's needs ahead of my own? What could I sacrifice to make somebody else look better? That's where great rewards come from. He, he reiterates it. He says, forever of you, any of you, guys, you ten are all upset, but you're in on it. Anyone who desires to be first in my kingdom, be slave of all. Come and serve. Come and sacrifice. Come and give yourself for others. And by the way, he says, guys, I who am God, who could demand le- legitimately that everyone serve me, I came to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for everybody. There he is, giving, serving, and sacrificing. You don't lord your way into great rewards. You serve, give, and sacrifice your way into great rewards. To me, it's very convicting. Because then I ask myself, if people viewed the way I work, the way I interact, the way I live, if people looked at my calendar and they looked at my checkbook and they looked at my attitude and they looked at my response on a phone call, would they say Chad lords his way into his great rewards in life? Or there's something about the aura, the feeling, the priority of his spending, the priority of his calendar that Chad serves. It's like he knows something everybody else in the culture doesn't. It's like he's, he's investing in something that doesn't make sense in our culture. He either is an idiot or he's onto something. And I think the response to all of us, according to Jesus' teaching, is that we should try and get rich from God. In fact, I think we should do what Rob did. We should set an ever-increasing objective to get rich from God. We should say, I want that 10,000% increase, that hundredfold increase. And we begin to look at our life. I like the idea of using the three Ps. Percentage, progressive, and priorities. When you look at your attitude, as a percentage of your motivation, are you becoming more and more percentage motivated by the love of God and other people's needs? Or over the years, even as a Christian, are you still just as much about yourself as you are about God? Then maybe you ought to fast or pray or memorize some scripture or get close to Jesus and say, Jesus, why is it the fruit of your spirit flowing through me? I'm not seeing a percentage of your love growing and, and, and you increase and I decrease. Progressively, every year, to begin to look at your checkbook and say, yeah, I, I gave a percentage years ago, but am I every year looking at everything I own and saying, God, it's yours and I'm the money manager. How to become more progressively generous with my time and my treasure let me look at my spending and say, is it really reflecting your kingdom or the kingdom of this world? And priorities. Does my leadership, does my checkbook, does my time and calendar reflect God's priorities? That's a great question to ask yourself. If you want an objective of being rewarded incredibly well in the next life, then you've got to do some 
quarterly reviews of yourself, your heart, your checkbook, your calendar, and say, am I leveraged my investments for the maximum return in eternity? It's just the smart thing to do. My son Javen turned 16 this week. And part of uh, the last couple of years, we've, we've put in some different mechanisms in place to teach him to save, to teach him to give. Now we've got him his first uh, ATM debit card. And so part of what I do is when I pay him his allowance for certain chores he does and his other money comes in from his jobs, part of what I do is I sit down with him and say, okay, pull out the debit card, go ahead and press bill pay, write a 10% check to the church, want to be part of God's priorities, next check, transfer 10% over into, into the savings account, now, here's the money left, here's the priorities, here's the money you get to spend, here's the money for food, here's the money for... Because I know that if I can get those priorities in place, those are going to serve him far better than anything else to put those disciplines in your life. Because my daughter was not a great spender. She sort of had a beer budget and a beer expenses. She didn't drink beer. My Just the analogy. My... Son, on the other hand, has champagne taste on a beer budget. And so I'm like, buddy, this is either going to motivate you to work really hard to be able to pay for your champagne taste, or it's going to put you in debt. And because you can always upgrade, and you're always about upgrading, and, and that's, that's okay at one level, as long as you're putting God first, and you're saving, and you're being wise with it. And so it's just been a great journey over the last couple of years. In the last month in particular, we've gotten more into it with this debit card of really teaching these ideas of putting God first and thanking him for what you provided for and what he's providing. I think what's interesting, though, is you, you hear these stories like this guy who, uh, um, who has a $30 billion company. You say, well, yeah, maybe if I made you know, $2 billion a year, then maybe I would give away 50% of my income. It's hard. It, you don't miss it when you have that much. But remember, he started early on in his career. Because I think we always look at there's always somebody far richer than us. Always. And we think we're so far removed from that, that that's just for them. Interesting story told of Bill Gates. Bill Gates was in Africa with some of the foundation work he was doing there with clean water, and he was visiting with some of the villagers in a hut. After he got done talking to them of some of the challenges they had, he stepped out and he's heading back to uh, the airport, and a reporter came in to talk to one of the villagers and said, Oh my goodness, do you know who you just talked to? No, Bill Gates. Never heard of him. He's the richest man in the world. She's waiting for the reaction. The villager looks at her and says, all you Americans are rich. Because when 50% of the world's population makes less than a dollar a day, wherever we are in America, we are closer to Bill Gates than we are to that villager in that hut. And so the question is, if that is true, and that's hard to believe that's true, because we're always comparing ourselves to all the notches between somebody higher instead of looking at all those that are so deeply in poverty, what would it look like for us to manage our life according to God's kingdom? He loves the widow. He loves the orphan. He loves the poor. He loves the needy. He also tells us to take care of our families. You're worse than an unbeliever if you don't take care of your family, Jesus would say, Paul will. One of his priorities is the church the bride of Christ, what would it look like to organize your serving, your giving, your priorities around God's priorities? I read a doctor. She's in her 30s, and she'd accomplished all the goals she had. She had a very successful practice, uh, OBGYN. She was looking at her goals at 30 and said, I have accomplished all my goals and then some. I got the car. I got the house. God, I want a deeper purpose. She went on a mission trip, and while she was on the mission trip, she felt like God was saying to her, I've got something more for you. Yes, you're a Christian, but I've got a, a way for you to invest in the kingdom in a new way. 
as she began to listen to Jesus, and this isn't prescriptive for us, this was just what God told her, she said, I want you to continue to work like a doctor but live like a nurse. So that's weird. She went back and did some more praying on that, and she felt like that was God's word for her, that she was going to continue to work like a doctor and make a doctor's income, but she looked at a nurse and made about 10% of what she did, and she decided to live off 10% of her income and give the other 90% away to begin to change the problem of poverty in Haiti. She said, after a year of doing that, I'm just amazed at the sense of purpose, at the sense of life. I was happy before, but I went from success to significance. Now, none of this is prescriptive for us. Here's, what I, here's all I'm saying. We need to get close to Jesus and say, I want to make the smart investments. And if there really is great rewards in the next life, and by the way, when you get your mind there, there's great rewards in this life. How do I prioritize my time, treasure, and talents in such a way to put God first? Because when you get to heaven, you can either, as Paul says, get in by the skin of your teeth or by just escaping fire. You're like, whew, I made it. And, and, you, and you'll love it. But there's another tier of folks who get in by grace, but then God says, well done. My good and faithful servant. Those are the words I want to hear. And at that moment, I will not regret the giving, the sacrificing, and the serving that I did. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible generosity to us, that you would die for us, that you would live in us, that you would work in us, and then, having done all that, you would reward us for the work you do in us. We're overwhelmed by your generosity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. See you all next week.